0: We're in for a few minutes of uh, exciting dialogue, I hope. Uh, Our guest today is Bishop Claude Alexander. Uh, He is pastor of the Park Church, Charlotte, North Carolina, has been for a number of years and all its spinoffs. Claude also has uh, uh, had various broader national focal points. Um, He's currently... uh, On three of many boards, I'm going to highlight three, because I serve on these boards with him. Uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he is chair, Christianity Today, where he is also chair, and Movement.org, which I happen to be chair. So I tell Claude all the time, I report to him twice as much as he reports (laughs) to me, and we have a good time there. Most of all, he's a Christ follower and a good friend. Claude, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Bob. It's great being with you. So we're talking about this uh, new book of yours, Necessary Christianity.
1: Why did you write it? Wow. So there are, there are two reasons. First is um, oftentimes we focus on the I am statements of Jesus and, and rightfully so because they are revelatory in terms of disclosing uh, who he is. But Also, within the Gospels, there are these must statements of Jesus, which are equally as revelatory in that they tell us how he approached his life, how he sought to shape the disciples approaching their lives, and hence how he seeks to shape our approach to our lives. The secondary reason is that um, my brother, um, who was nine years younger than I, died at the age of 39. And in the midst of coming to terms with his having less years than I did, the question was, how would I honor him with the more years that I have? And one of the things that he wanted me to do was to write books. So consequently, honoring the more years that I have, honoring him, that also served as the motivation.
0: I'm glad he requested that because uh, your books are an inspiration and instructional to many, including uh, this interviewer, if you will, Claude. So thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, I thought as I read the book of Frederick Buchner, who died this past year, as you know, uh, how he always talked about, you know, the sweet spot being the intersection of our interests our God-given abilities, and he called it the needs of the world. That comes out in your book in various ways. Obviously, not with a self perspective, but with a God perspective. you want to comment?
1: Sure. So so this, this notion of finding ourselves within the will of God and aligning ourselves to it. So the within the, um, within the uh, chapter that deals with dynamic progression one of the one of the points is uh, living by assignment rather than personal preference and so my interest may be one thing but God's assignment may be different And so how do I seek to Align myself with God's assignment and find that in giving myself to it, that also gets to my deepest joy in ways that my personal preference would not. So yeah,
0: yeah. great. Uh, thanks for that contrast. Um so let's get into some of the some of the I musts.
2: Mm-hmm. My
0: first observation, and I've uh, underlined various pieces of the book, let me quote, To the secular humanist and the immature Christian, much of life is random, accidental, and haphazard. And you argue, appropriately, God calls the Christian to live with a sense of the necessary, the obliged, and the required. So, random, accidental, haphazard, necessary, obliged, and required. Can you
1: explain a bit? Sure. So, it... It, it basically goes to the heart of one's worldview. Does one view life and the world from the standpoint of accident and randomness? Or does one view life and, and, and the world from the standpoint of intention and, and meaning and purpose and necessity? Those are two distinctly different worldviews. The Christian is called to a worldview of intention. And if we look at the world through intention, that is created intention, tension, then there is the necessary. And, and, and that then impacts how we view everything, including our very existence. Do I see myself as accidental? Or do my, do I see myself as being purposeful and therefore necessary? The I must and the I am.
0: Yeah, we've all lived with the I am's. I, I think you've woken us up a bit to the I must. So thank you for that. Yeah. When you get to the I musts, Claude, uh, d- does the I must? Mentality become difficult when there are bumps in the road. How does one deal with bumps in the road? Well, I thought I was heading in a direction God wanted me to, and now this big bump.
1: the 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 directions of God are are always uh, just that directional, right? They do not include everything that you will encounter along the way. They simply prompt us to move in a direction. The bumps that often occur, while we may view them as uh, distractions, obstacles, etc., those are often allowed by God for God to show us something about himself, develop something within us as we proceed further in the direction to which he has called us. And so the bumps are not an indication of, did I get it wrong? The bumps are opportunities for us to further see how God is active and working in our lives. Let me
0: take that a step further. That, the, at least, this sinner, mm-hmm. temptation is when things are going well, and I'm going down the road 100 miles an hour in sync with everything, including, to my knowledge, God. Mm-hmm. The temptation is to turn around and say, "God, are you with me?" Boy, mm-hmm. that bad theology. We know that. <laughs> but we're in the valleys. We're not going 100 miles an hour. We may be going. We may be stationary. We might be going minus 10. Yeah. And our tendency then is God please show me the way. Yes. How do we avoid those first temptations
1: when we're going it and it's going well? Well, I think fundamentally, I know for me, I have to understand that the journey, whether accelerated or um or slow, is not so much about my arriving at a certain place or accomplishing a certain thing. It is about my furthering in my relationship and knowledge of God. Primary. And therefore, what God seeks to do, whether in a time of acceleration or deceleration, is to show who he is in those moments. And so if I focus, if I shift my focus to that, then I realize God is always there. And God is seeking to show, especially in the slow or still times, that God is equally God and that God is enough God. And because God is equally God and God is enough God, I am enough and will have enough for the moment.
0: I think what you're alluding to, correct me if uh, or amplify on this, God cares more about our being, how are we doing what we're doing than the doing or the accomplishment. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And 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 our coming to know him more fully. Um it, it, it's like it's like um when when, when you're with your kids, and you're, you're going somewhere, and in your mind, it's all about you being with the kids and the kids being with, with you. In their minds, it's about, are we there yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> are we there yet? Are we there yet? And in your mind, you're saying, um, what I'm really trying to do is is to get you to value the time that we're spending together and catching the things that, that I may be saying as we, as we travel. But the kids are saying, are we there yet? It's the same way with God.
0: Great illustration. Thank you for making it simple.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you have a
0: great section in the book about pursuing your calling. And, you know, for lots of people that I encounter, you as well, I'm sure, they're not sure what their calling is and they're, uh, you know, so how how do we help people to see their calling so they can pursue it? Mm. Well,
1: one is is to realize that wherever you are currently, that is the place of your calling. Oftentimes, we're, we're looking for another place, right? Uh, but, but right where you are. So, so when Jesus says, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto, unto the uttermost parts of the earth, we usually think of that as saying your home, your city, your nation, your world. But that's not what the disciples heard because Jerusalem was not their hometown. They were from Capernaum and Decapolis, Nazareth, right? But Jerusalem was right where they were. And Jesus says, start right where you are. So where am I? Where, where, where am I single or married? Where am I in my workplace? Where am I, you know, in my congregational setting or not? Where am I? That's number one. Number two, what are the gifts, skills, talents, experiences, and and exposures that God has invested in me? Third, what are the opportunities that God is presenting to me? Fourth, what are my deepest joys and where do I have passion? And how how do I invest my time in all of that Right where I, am. you're a perfect example of that, Bob. I mean, where you've been and where you are. Yeah, well
0: said. So this takes me to something you said back at the beginning: the life of the believer, the mature believer. It's not about the believer; it's about God,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and finding joy in where God has put us and God calls us. Is really one of the can I say successes of life if we can achieve it, but many struggle. Um, what
1: advice do you have for them? The we often quote the psalmist: delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we usually take that to mean that God will give me what my heart desires. But no, it says delight yourself in the Lord. Make the Lord your delight. Make the Lord the delight of your heart. And if and if you make the Lord your delight, he will give you what he desires because that will then become your desires. And I found in my own life that 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 is true. So I'll give you an example. 2001, I wanted to be mayor of Charlotte. I was going to run. I had the backing of corporate. I had the support of people. And I asked the, the church to join me for a time of prayer. And so we went into prayer. I was at a conference in 2001, and God simply said, Charlotte is too small. That was it. Full stop. So does that mean you're running for president now? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, Now in 2001, I, I was, I was, I was, I was pastoring a church that God was growing in tremendous ways, but I, but I was not on any of the things that you now see. Yes. Yes. I had, I had not met you yet in Bangalore, India. Yes and the chances are that i could have run for mayor won it but those things would not have occurred it would have sent me on another path that that, that may have that may have fulfilled my delight my desire but it wasn't what delights the lord and i can say that my life is infinitely fuller in this, than it would have been being the mayor.
0: Wow, thanks for that. Example and testimony. Let me move to another section that uh, uh, fascinated me. Um, you, you talk about uh, Jesus understanding he could have settled in Capernaum and had you know an okay life, mm-hmm. but he was called elsewhere.
2: <clears throat>
0: you know we we Christians and non-Christians alike, we like and want and pursue the comfortable, the predictable. Let me not get in the way of things that I may not be comfortable with. Let me, let me just try to find that life of satisfaction. Wow. Can we sell ourselves
1: short when we do that? Tell us some more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, and that's very early in Jesus's ministry, which, which makes the temptation even greater yeah. Right? I mean, he would have had a locked-in crowd, you know, everybody wanted him there. But he under he understood after having and this is the key, after having spent time with God in prayer. He was able to respond to that temptation. Because that temptation hits us on the flesh. And the only way that we can transcend it is the life in the spirit. The life in the spirit with God caused him to know that there was more beyond the comfortable. Amen. And therefore, he was able to resist the pull and pursue the path that God had for him.
0: Connected to this good section is one that, um, in italics, you write: "I must follow God's direction to place places others would avoid." Mm. Would you explain and give an example, perhaps in your life?
1: Sure. So, um, in in that you are referring to um, when Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Yes. Right. And 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 the interesting thing is that. This wasn't the first time that Jesus traveled. But this time, rather than going around Samaria, which would have been the normal thing that a Jew would do, this time he had to go through it. God was directing him that the time of avoidance was over and now you've got to go through because of the purpose that God had for him and for those who were there. There there have been many times when I have been either the only person of color or one of the few persons of color in environments and there have been conversations that others would have liked to avoid but in those instances when i've known that they couldn't be avoided i've had to raise my my voice because in that moment it wasn't around, it wasn't about going around it was about going through
0: yeah. Thank you for that. You know, I had, uh, planned on perhaps saving this for the end, but I think it's a good time for a bit of a diversion. Claude, you may know that we're recording this in advance of, uh, Martin Luther King day as we celebrate his, his life and his legacy. Uh, what has Dr. King's life and ministry meant to you?
2: Wow. <laughs> How many hours do I have? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, So it was April 4th, 1968. I was
1: in the basement with my mother. I was at that time four years old. A picture of Dr. King comes across our television screen, the announcement of his assassination, and my mother just breaks
2: down uncontrollable weeping. I never seen my mother cry like that. All that I know is that she's responding to what she's seen about this guy on the screen. It would be after that that my mother would explain to me
1: who he is and what he did. A year later, my my, my mom would uh, marry uh, one of her... Uh, medical school associates who just happened to work in the civil rights movement and to have been assigned to cover Dr. King whenever Dr. King was in Mississippi, Dr. Robert Smith. And so I would hear more about him and read more about him. And I would go to the college that he went to. So it went from a man whose life impacted my mom to the point of
2: uncontrollable weeping, to a man who, who spoke the both the
1: fears and the aspirations of a people and challenged America to live up to the truth of its documents and challenged the church to live up to the truth of its document and was willing to give his life for it. Yeah.
0: Here are some words from his very last sermon I'd love you to comment on. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. What do you think he was talking about and where are we in 2022
1: America on that dream? Wow. On the 50th anniversary of, no, it was the 40th anniversary of that. I I sat in Mason Temple that night for a 40th anniversary service. Um, It was raining that night too. And I, I I sought to imagine what that was for him, to stand that, that night, having not planned to go there. This wasn't a planned speech. He hadn't planned to go. He was pulled into being there that
2: night. And God took him to a place. It was it was and still
1: remains an aspiration of, of freedom, full inclusion. Yes, we have made progress, and yet there are sentiments that are still alive, which he sought to eradicate.
0: Well said. Let me press this one step further. I'm obviously a white guy. Mm -hmm. As a white Christian, Claude, what do I need to learn, and what do I need to do?
1: Well, number one, to to know the history, so that you're able to make connections to what is seen in the contemporary moment. The second, the second thing is is to be willing to to, set, to, to stand in the tension and be willing to experience disequilibrium and discomfort. Oftentimes, um, there is the fear of discomfort that keeps one from either standing in the tension or making a statement. And so it's the courage to be willing to stand in the tension. And when you have the opportunity to exercise your agency of amplifying and extending, being willing to give your voice.
0: Great, great uh, encouragement and admonition. I'll not forget on the recent anniversary of being in D.C., uh, visiting our daughter, and I said, I'm going to go to both Lincoln and King's memorials on the mall. And I read all the, both of them. Of course, Lincoln uh, doing much for uh, people of color compared to lots of other people. And then Dr. King doing all the wonderful things we've just talked about. Mm -hmm. That was a poignant moment for me, Claude. And uh, uh, I did realize some of the things you just said, you just can't sit there and watch it happen. You've got to be involved when God puts moments in front of you, and he does. Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Connected to this, I think, but back to the book, um, you have a section where you say, we never know how much our words mean to them. And you're talking now about people others might shun. Mm -hmm. We can't imagine how much our smile means to them. Or fathom how valuable just spending time with them is. I know in my life, I can point to those what, what what are you talking about there?
1: so, so the notion of this Samaritan woman, um, the law would for would forbid Jesus to deal with her on two levels, one being woman, two being a Samaritan. She would be shunned. But Jesus does not allow the law to stop him. From acknowledging her essential humanity and fulfilling the will that God had for him and for her in that moment, and so he looks, he speaks, he engages, and and that's what the the disciples are just shocked. What he he's speaking to her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep.
1: Right. Right. And, and
2: and the same is is true for us. We don't. Invariably, if you live in
1: in a city, and you walk down the street and you see someone who is homeless, invariably the tendency is to look past them. But what Jesus would challenge us to do is to look at them, to see them, to see them, um, and that's just one 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 example you know people which people shun those who have who had hiv and aids right no jesus to engage so and to find him
2: there to know that he is there and that not only do we do we make him
1: present but we might experience His presence as we engage them.
0: Amen. Amen. One of the sections that hit me between the eyes, Claude, I'm going to read the scripture you have and then a couple of uh, sentences you wrote. Uh, This is from Hebrews 11. Others were tortured, we know this uh, chapter well, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection still others had trials of mockings and scourgings yes and of chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two they were tempted slain with a sword etc cetera, etc cetera. then you're right for too many faith is a prophylactic that shields them from discomfort and pain for them faith is about conquest victory being above and being over however the christian life you go on to say is not all conquest It's not all victory. It's not about being on top and being above. Some of us experience defeat, disappointment, being behind, being beneath, and being under. We experience persecution, attack, and isolation. That does not mean we're not living the Christian life when we get there. In fact, that can be some of our best learning times. Yeah. Give me some more.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're sadly there is a a brand of faith that continues to be offered that sees faith in terms of its instrumentality and in terms of what it keeps you
2: from the scriptures teach something differently the scriptures show us
1: uh three Hebrew boys who say, but even if he doesn't save us, we still will not bow and they enter the furnace or Daniel in the den or the, or the Hebrew people or even Jesus,
2: nevertheless, not my will. And so a relationship with, with God is, is
1: about the person and presence of God in
2: all of life even the most painful. Believing that what God does not keep me from God is able to keep me in and to see me through.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know um, I, I mentioned the the motivation of
2: my of my brother and that was that was that was a that
1: was one of the growth times with God even though it was the
2: most painful time of my entire life because i saw i saw my brother go from diagnosis
1: to death in seven months, what was supposed to be a
2: survivable cancer, take him out. And I had prayed for God to do something different. Yes, yes.
1: And what I discovered in that, one, My relationship with God is tough enough for God to hear me,
2: hear my questions, hear my anger, feel my pain, and that in the midst of mystery, his presence is enough, is enough. And that my
1: relationship with him is not based upon getting every answer to every question. My relationship with him is about receiving the revelation that he gives in the midst of the unanswered. Mm. So here's the, here's the Bible. Martha and Mary go to Jesus and they say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. The question behind that was, why didn't you come? Why did you let him die? Jesus doesn't answer that question. He gives them a revelation. I am the resurrection
2: and the life. That's what our faith is all about. It's about the revelation of God in the midst of both what we know
1: and that which we will only know when we see him.
0: Thank you for that, Bishop. One more I must before we conclude. Sure. I must live with a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jesus showed that. And you write the simple sentence, time is of the essence. I can't waste what I have right now. Would you enlighten
1: us? Sure. So Jesus lived with this notion that there was an hour
2: for which he was born. And unlike us, he knew how long that would be. We don't.
1: We just know the time that we have. And so the life with God is about giving ourselves to the time that we have, knowing that we do not have as long as we think. There is an urgency to the time. And yet there's not haste. There's a difference between urgency and haste, haste, right? The urgency is in realizing that there is meaning and purpose in every moment and that God seeks to fulfill each moment with us. And how do we give ourselves to that? And to be able to say, I may not know how long I have, but as long as I'm here, This is what I'm going to pursue. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Good thoughts. I'm going to end with uh, a line from your questions section at the back and just ask you to comment on it or whatever to summarize. Life in Christ and with Christ is less about what we could do and more about what we must do. Mm. Freedom in Christ does not make the desires and demands of Christ of us and for us optional. Rather, freedom in Christ disentangles us so we are able to respond to that which is necessary for us from Christ and in Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. The temptation of the adversary is to cause us to believe that the path that God sets is about
1: restriction. And that in in restriction,
2: we don't experience the full life. Whereas, no, the path that God sets before us, placing must
1: before us, isn't about restricting us, It really is about freeing us to enjoy what God knows will bless us the most. Mm -hmm. And if I keep that in my mind, I experience the blessing that comes from. Amen. Thank
0: you, Bishop Claude Alexander, for the time for this interview, for the book, but more broadly for your leadership, in the Christian world, and personally for your friendship. I am really glad you didn't run for mayor.
2: <laughs> Thank God, you, God bless
0: you uh, today and in the days to come. Thanks so much. Thank you.